Welcome to Accelerating Your Dental Practice, a podcast with free expert advice to accelerate your practice's efficiency, growth, and profit. Here's your hosts, dental management consultants and friends, Malika and Michelle. Hello, everyone. We're excited to do our next episode of Accelerating Your Dental Practice podcast. We're excited to have Natasha Gillis here with the Gillis Firm. She's an attorney that's located in Virginia and has clients in the DA. In the area, her focus is startups, acquisitions, and partnerships. So, as the new year's here, we're excited to have her be part of this and share some great tips with us. Thank you for having me, Malika and Michelle. I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, we're excited because it's the new year, and dentists are always looking for tips and tricks to help grow their practice. You know, they're refreshed after the new year. So we're excited to have you here, Natasha, to share some of the unique tips and tricks to help them grow their practice. I don't know if they're tips and tricks. But <laughs> certainly, we can talk about some helpful things that we've seen to help this uh, the new goal-setting, trending spirit that we have in January of every year, and hopefully to achieve our goals that we do, do actually plan this year. So I think the best way to phrase the theme, and then we'll jump into the subparts, is treat your practice as a true business asset. What I mean by that is oftentimes practice owners are focusing on things that are actually tangible in their office. So in so many ways, true, they are treating it as a asset. But what I mean by that is the business itself. Think of the processes, the everyday minutiae, not just with respect to, you know, like your patients coming in and out and that sort of procedural minutiae, but think about your actual business as a living, breathing, eating entity and what you can do to make it more productive in and of itself and make it seem more serious so that you're not the one always orchestrating and puppeteering it, that it's able to do that on its own. So by that, one of the things that I've noticed, for example, is there's so much focus on uh, for our startups. And we see this on these blogs oftentimes or these Facebook groups. Hey, what do you think about my uh, office design, my blueprint? Do you like the flow? Does it look great? Feedback, please. And people are chiming in. But guess what? People like me who are non-dentists, I'm trolling these sites and I'm watching and I'm thinking, hmm, funny. For every post that I see, that has this sort of content about layout and equipment, I don't see conversation about what sort of retention strategies have you used to keep your staff? What sort of offers or what sort of contract language have you used to incentivize and maintain a productive associate? Now, a lot of people say, well, that's what the attorney's for. Absolutely true. But also, I think that as a business owner, Having these productive conversations within your groups helps so that you can see what what office is doing maybe better than another to give you some thought and feedback. So certainly one of the biggest tips I can offer this year to our practice owners is focus on your associate agreements and not just in terms of thou shall not compete, but also in terms of, hey, let me craft some incentives uh, let me offer, for example, some CEs, basically money for you to go into these CEs and let me show 
this potential candidate, that I'm willing to invest in them to incentivize the right candidate to come and actually stay and be loyal. So that's one of the biggest tips that I can offer for this year. Yeah. And I think that's huge because from my, and I'm sure Michelle can agree to this too, is like, when you do give that associate a contract, it truly makes it official. And, you know, you set some boundaries, you know, rules and respect lines, not only for yourself, but also for your practice and your patients. And I have I'm lost the count of number of offices I'll go into and the client will complain to me about their associate. But the minute I ask them if there's a contract and what is it? Oh, we don't have one. We shook hands. And it doesn't work like that anymore because that associate, and trust me, because I talk to associates that reach out to me that are about to open a practice or buy an existing practice. And I'll ask them the question, oh, so what is the notice you need to give your current employer? Oh, we don't have a contract. I can literally walk out tomorrow. So that, that respect line is gone. And, you know, for that associate, he or she feels like, oh, I'm not like set in stone. Like I can do what I want to do. And it's not like she, she really needs me because if she really needed me is one comment I got, she would have given me a contract. I'm just a bandaid, you know, and I'm sure Michelle, I'm sure you have situations like that too. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's unfortunate when that happens because it, it affects both the owner of the practice and the associate. And then it it doesn't always turn out so nice when somebody is, is leaving. But the other thing I've run into, and I'm not sure, Natasha and Malika, if you've seen it, is associates not wanting to sign a contract. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes. And that's been a little bit challenging too. And I think that's actually interesting. And I, I'm curious to see what Natasha thinks of this. I see this more with traveling periodontists and endodontists. And I get why they don't want to sign it in one way, because sometimes they're doing perio in three locations that are within a five mile radius. And all they're doing is going in there. They're not marking themselves, but they're seeing those patients and getting perio work surgery done and leaving. So I see a lot of pushback on that angle where the owner of the practice doesn't know what to do because he or she really wants this periodontist, for example, but He's like, I can't sign a contract because I already have a contract with the other one and it's, I'm going to basically affect both. So there's a lot of that that I see in specialties that are traveling in um, GP practices. Well, I'm going to give you some thoughts on that because where I see a lot of uh, practices make a mistake and things have changed is a associate employee versus a associate who's traveling, which really is an independent contractor. If they're mm-hmm. an independent contractor, technically you should not offer a non-compete because they're providing services that you are not. And to offer a non-compete, what are you really trying to do? If you're trying to avoid them from providing their bread and butter services, I mean, then why didn't you hire them as a W-2? Why don't you offer that as one of the meat and potato aspects of your practice? So this is where I also call it being a little bit selfish. You have to be careful as the acquirer of the talent and thinking, what do I need? Do I need an employee or do I have such sporadic need that a independent business coming in here to perform that specialty would suffice? And if that's the case, that truly is what a, and people call it a 1099, it's actually called a contractor who has issued a 1099 IRS form. But th- the spirit of that is truly, we bring you in for the convenience of our patients Sure, you know, we can bill and make a little bit of money off of it mutually, but that's it. And so I think that's where a lot of practice owners make that mistake is not fully, truly understanding those classifications. Why? Because 
well, my CPA told me if I 1099 such and such, I don't have to pay payroll taxes. Okay. But again, if you follow the news and you've been watching a lot of the states and now there's some news about the federal government following suit, that's not going to happen anymore. It's got to be either they're an employee or if they're not, they're true to form another company doing services for you. And again, tailor those contracts accordingly so that they fit your needs. Even for a 1099 contractor, you should have basic parameters. This is what you're here for. And you know, for those contracts, you want to be clear that you carry your own malpractice insurance. There's some reasons aside from particularly for these contractor agreements, you want to offer them. It's a liability issue. And oftentimes your, your malpractice insurer will say, well, you know, such and such happened at your property. Let's dive into it. Who's going to take care of this claim? So that's a different story. Yeah, that's, that's great because I feel like that's what I see a lot of the challenge um, is when my clients are trying to bring a specialist in like once a month, twice a month. And then that, that contractor is like, eh, I'm not signing that contract. That really limits me to what I can do at other offices. So that's really a good tip. Right. Yeah. You know, something else I noticed too, along the lines of contracts, people are so concerned that contracts are insulting. I think that's why they're afraid to offer and afraid to dive into them and, you know, redline them, so to speak. That's what we call it in my field. But more so with partnerships, um, that's the second kind of nugget that I, if I could offer for 2023 and tell everybody, hey, snap out of it. And make sure that if you're going to do different sort of practices or even one of your main bread and butter practices with another party, get your partnership agreements together. Um, I've got uh, a couple of them this year that I saw that were really unique. Some were in practice for 10 years and they had multiple partners and they had just kind of a acumen. It didn't sufficiently dive into what we see in traditional partners. And partnerships can be classified as different things. You can have an LLC, you can have a corporation. They're, they're not at that point called partnerships, but for now we'll call them partnerships. They'll have things missing like in the event of death, in the event of disability, in the event of divorce, in the event of buy-sell, if somebody wants to leave. You'll see it a lot in DSO contracts and they do a really good job usually and we're kind of fighting them back and forth when we see them in so many ways, but they do a really good job of saying, okay, if any of these triggering events happen, then the partnership stays intact or the, the operating agreement stays intact. The existing member doesn't have to dissolve. They can buy out your interests at this percentage rate or some penalty rate, or in case of death, usually they say the full market value. But those are some things that it's painful to walk through each of the scenarios because it's sometimes so remote for us. As human beings, we like to see what's in our face and treat it. But, you know, if you're thinking as a dentist, a lot of times the skill is, well, I can foresee other things that you will need, right? That's how you advise your patients is, hey, this is indicative of these potential problems that we need to address at some point, part of your treatment planning. Well, same thing with the legal is, you know, your partnership agreements need to look out so far in advance where we are in so many ways, treatment planning for these potential nuances that could occur. And most of the times, you know, when we draft these documents, the parties sign it, yay, congrats, I'm now a third owner. But they don't really revisit that contract until there is a triggering event where they say, oh, shoot, you remember we signed this contract, where is it? And, you know, oftentimes, if you don't take these precautions now, you're going to kick yourself in the butt later. And that's why it's really important. Just get it done, get it done, get it done the right way. Don't push back on that. Malika, have you seen doomsday scenarios? I mean, partnerships, I, 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 I can go on for days, you know, because I have so many that I've unfortunately have gone south or are going south. 
and then everybody has to get their own attorney and then you know that that office dynamic changes and there's a lot of you know good cop bad cop and they use their staff to you know create teams and it really is not just an issue that happens between the two partners or the three partners if there's more than two it also affects the the culture and the well-being of the practice and the staff voice to me this is really uncomfortable One's asking me to do this. Well, the other one's calling me and asking me to do that. What do I do? I don't, I don't want to be, I'm going to quit. I don't want to be in the middle of this. So I think it's really important that you truly can see yourself being partners with this person. I have a client, he's really funny. He'll say, let me date this potential partner before we get married, which I'm like, this is great analogy because it's like, don't jump into things because you think it's just a good idea. Yeah. There, the minute money gets involved, and if you guys have both have really strong personalities, or if you're both type A, it might not work out really well. You know, someone could be really business savvy, and the other's clinical in the sense of being more hands on. That could work really well. But if you both want to control over everything, you will eventually butt heads because I'm seeing it right now, and it's not pretty. That's true. And the other thing too with these sort of partnerships, it's it's more challenging arguably, to have each person have an equal say and to have that one person who's truly the manager who makes these decisions, which and that truly in and of itself also can cause some issues where if that other partner says, well, that's not fair, you know, I'm doing all the work and you get to make the decisions. So partnerships, you really have to, as you said, be the right fit and trust each other. And oftentimes I see them more more successfully in situations where uh, somebody is buying into an existing office where maybe there's another, there's two other partners and one's usually retiring and they're buying into that person's share. And then naturally the existing partner moves up the rank so that they're assuming that senior rank. And, you know, those seem to work pretty well when we have uh, more than two, the thirds. Um, but again, what we do is we always make sure to say, is this what you want? Do you understand what this comes with? that really it's, it's an associateship with perks in so many ways where you have equity interests and clearly the incentive is to keep you, to keep you engaged so that you don't leave. So if done correctly, they can yield lots of benefits and rewards. But again, keywords, they have to be done. They have to be done correctly. Yeah. Do you have, Michelle, do you run into like partnership? Like does your clients ask your advice about partnership? Because I feel like I, I get really uncomfortable. Like, what do you think? Should I become partners with them? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> I do. I have one right now that brought on an associate um, earlier, like in the summertime. And, you know, with the intent that they're going to become a partner in the next year or so. So we've had a few conversations, but it is, it's, <laughs> it's definitely out of my realm. So uh, I always like refer, like you need to have this taken care of before you do it because it's a marriage and you're stuck with this person. So you want to make sure it's done right. Yeah. And I, and I find it interesting. I have more clients when they're looking for an associate, putting in their ads, future partnership. Yeah. It's interesting because I think we're, a lot of you know dentists have realized that if they have a piece of that meat and they're involved in that higher level and there's a, like even if it's like 15 percent partnership i don't know it depends on the size of the, the practice that that associate will stay on board and not bounce around and and when i talk to the younger dentists that are looking for a practice they will ask me was there a future partnership 
So it's, it's, it's changed a lot. Whereas for a couple of years ago, I wouldn't get this question a lot. Yeah. Where now a lot of people are seeing that buying into a practice is a lot makes more sense revenue wise. Cause you know, we notice all of all three of us notice when you buy an existing practice, there's an immediate cash flow that comes in. Right. Where a startup, we have months of waiting in hopes that all our marketing tactics, the location that was picked and all that stuff is going to work. Where with acquisitions, it's like, okay, you're going to have these patients actively on the schedule the day you buy. So it's interesting to see that a lot of that has changed a bit throughout the years. Well, that's the other caveat too, is don't offer it unless you mean it. I've yeah. had the converse happen too, is uh, associate after two years, one or two years, different scenarios saying, hey, I'm ready. When can I have a piece of that? And the the senior, again, usually someone who's on the verge of retirement, deciding, you know what, I'm making a lot of money. Why would I give you partnership now? So <laughs> be careful yeah. what you offer because <laughs> there was no writing. And that's the other thing is, sure, when you draft these associate contracts, you know, to play devil's advocate when I'm on the employer side, I'll say, well, you need to test drive it too. What if we realize that, you know, this associate isn't all that they were meant to be? Do you want to put that in the contract that there's a partnership cap? Or do you want to leave it as, hey, listen, if everything goes well, these are my plans. And sure, of course, I would want the practice to be succeeded by you. So sometimes we'll do a soft like letter of intent. But even then, these things are not binding unless you say, hey, this is a contract. So again, heed with caution. I, I truly believe that work on the honor system. People will feel that and you will get the quality that you want as long as you're true and your integrity is intact. You, you're not trying to play games with someone and say, yeah, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> it's Just funny because a lot of the startups that I work with are doing a startup because they were promised a partnership or some mm. kind of ownership in there. And then it got taken away from them and they were like, well, I'm not going to stay here anymore. So that, that's true. I, I hear it. It's funny. I'm like, so, cause I always ask on the discovery, what, why, you know, startup versus existing. Well, I was in a practice waiting seven years in hopes that he would offer me partnership or sell it to me. But then he decided to sell it to a DSO and it was my time to leave. And I, so it's interesting how these things happen, but I always say like, it's like, that was not meant for you or, you know, there's a reason that didn't work out, but it's, it's interesting because that that's a really good observation, Michelle, because I, that's like one of the number one things they say is, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I, would, I was going to buy my, you know, my boss's practice, but it never happened. I've also seen the converse, guys, where the boss is saying, hey, are you ready? And the uh, associate's like, I don't want this office. This office is a hot mess. <laughs> I'm not paying what you're asking for. You're overpricing it. This is based on my sweat, blood, and tears. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, there's, you know, just having this conversation itself, partnerships are tricky. They're not easy. <laughs> it's true. But it's, I, I mean, I joke all the time because I, I see a lot of like, like the senior doctors saying like, yeah, I'm willing to bring a partner in, but the partner needs to be 49 and I need to be 51. And I always like in back of my mind, say, look, if someone offered me that I want 50, 50, or I'm not going like, <laughs> I like, I think personality has a lot to do with it. Some will say, yeah, I'll take the 49 as long as, you know, I don't have to do X, Y, and Z. And that has to be in the contract. But I think if there's two strong personalities and they both won 50-50, sometimes over that 1%, the deal doesn't even go through. Yeah. Which is interesting to me. Or I also say like, and I, I have this very similar scenario right now is like your partners and one, 
as a partner, you're so disconnected from the, from the ownership part of the practice. And then suddenly you wake up one day and you're like, oh, I don't know what's going on in the office. I don't understand why our numbers are X, Y, and Z. I don't know why our staff overhead's so high. And then you want answers from your partner. And then, you know, that causes a lot of friction. And I've been in the middle of trying to facilitate that because to be fair to the partner that stays up late doing payroll and dealing with the CPA and all that admin stuff. While the other partners completely like say, oh, I trust my partner. But then suddenly you have a hundred questions because you were completely disconnected for, I don't know, a year from the practice on the financial side. It's like you have to have a relationship where you can both give and put that time out for it or else that's where some of this, you know, fallouts happen and these issues and partnerships happen. It's, it's, it's a challenging one. I think, I don't know if I could do, like, I think partnerships is a tough one unless you really for sure know that that individual or individual, if it's even more than one person that's going to be your partner that can handle it. And then obviously the legal part is the part that they don't want to even talk about. It's like, oh, well, I don't want to really bring that contract because I'm afraid if I show that contract, he or she won't be my partner. That's interesting. I don't want to scare them off. I don't want them to think (laughs) I don't trust them. Yes. Yes. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a big one. So moving off of this topic, because we can get into it all day, uh, last sort of tidbit to answer Michelle's original question about re-energizing and and hitting your goals and, you know, treating your business like an asset, trademarks. (laughs) So let me get into a little bit of description on what that means. A lot of our startups, a lot of our acquisitions, it doesn't matter how you came about your practice, practice owners will pick a name. And they'll say, you know, this is a great name. It, it It's marketable and, you know, it fits my demographics. And oftentimes they don't take the extra steps to protect that name. And that's really what a trademark is. So you have different types of trademark. You have state level trademark and you have a federal level trademark. The trademark is basically when you take your name and you assert legal rights to it by filing it and letting people know that I am the official owner. You cannot use this name without my permission and consent. It is a true intangible, something you can't touch or see asset to your business, especially in the day of social media, Facebook, Instagram, I guess, TikTok. So What used to not be so much of an issue for our dentists, because you'd have neighborhood offices and everybody knows you attract patients within a certain radius. So, for example, calling yourself family neighborhood dental in one county won't change your business aspirations if another competitor opens 20 miles away with the same name. Not anymore. So we always are are not always, but as of the past few years, telling our clients when we're forming their entities or we're helping them. Um, con- consider changing of names. Did you check the United States Patent and Trademark Office database, number one, to make sure that that name is not already registered under another person? And oftentimes, of course, the client says, what? And we send them the link. And we say, anytime you want to add a trade name so that you have your signage name, or otherwise operate under different names, you really ought to take that name first, run it through the National Federal Trade uh, uh, Database, because that's the master of, how do I phrase it? It's like the the chief way, the superior way that anybody can own ownership to a name is through the Federal Trademark Administrator, the USPTO. At that point, if that name's not taken, 
oftentimes we'll say, well, you can also do a state search. But oftentimes, if you are creating an entity, most of our clients will have their name, comma, their degree, comma, LLC, PLLC, PCPA, whatever their business entity is. And then once they're ready to open their doors, then they want that signage name. So oftentimes, we will have to go back in the state database and link that trade name or fictitious name to their legal name. Why? Because by law, you can't operate under a name that's not registered with the state because of lawsuit purposes. The patient gets upset and they want to sue or they want to file a complaint and they type in your signage name, neighborhood family dental, got to ping back to your actual business entity. So along those lines, when we do that, oftentimes it'll populate, it depends on the state too, if that name has already been used. But always check and make sure even a Google search, that name is not already taken or a similar name because sometimes even its similarity, if it's so close together, you're risking a situation where that previous owner can say, hey, you're stealing my name. And certainly nobody wants to see a little cease and desist letter from another attorney saying, hey, you're using my client's name. But, you know, aside from the searches, invest the money that once you have a name that's been working for you, trademark it, assert your ownership over it. Sure, it might be a few thousand dollars. And yes, that seems like a big bullet swallow. But imagine this, how much are you spending on your social media? How much are you spending on your marketing materials? That name is how people are distinguishing you. That name is how people are coming to know you. So make sure in 2023, invest, get it done, trademark it, make it yours, including any of the logos or lingos. If you have something that goes with it, like a catchphrase that that distinguishes your practice even more. These are all things that if you contact a trademark attorney, they will be able to assist you because it's not only the name, but also symbols. And at this point, this is beyond my ballywick uh, because I don't practice trademarks and patents and copyrights, but certainly it's good to look into it. Don't hold back and be stingy, so to speak, and not and not get that registration done for your practice. That's a, and I, and I know that we had a Natasha, a, a client that we shared that had gone through all of that stuff, you know created marketing material and all that stuff and then had to do it all over again. Brand new website, brand new everything. So it's I've seen it. And I've that was actually my first one to see that one. I was like, oh, this is not good, you know? And I guess my and I don't know if you can because I feel like I've gotten this question before from clients is that how do you know that after you have trademarked your name or your slogan, how do you know someone else is using it and didn't check? How do you find that out? So I believe uh, there are services that you can, it's kind of the package when you're hiring Um, a trademark attorney, you can have them do monitoring for you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because sometimes I I used to wonder the same thing. And again, that's unfortunately a little bit beyond my value because it's such a specialized area, but yes, they can monitor for you. And believe it or not, Google is a tall tale sign. I mean, these days you use Google for anything. If you are patient enough to sift through all the pages, you'll be able to make a full search of anything that's out there that's basically publishable to Google. And, you know, mm. oftentimes where I see the cease and desist isn't the small practice against the small practice. It's the upcoming DSO wannabes, if I can call it that, because they're not fully BDSOs, but they have multiple group practices or the ones that are actually establishing themselves as true DSOs. They have an inherent interest in that name because for them, it's not that state. It, it might be the whole nationwide area or whole east side or west side of the U.S. So you've got to be a little bit careful with names in this day and age. 
And, you know, don't fight it. I mean, I've had clients who say, well, the only other practice that I saw on Google was in California and I'm here in, in Virginia. Just stay away from it. Or you know what? Attach your name to it. A lot yeah. of dentists, yeah. for some reason, are hesitant to say like uh, dental studio smiles or dental arts by doctor such and such. And I, I always wondered, well, isn't that kind of a tagline that especially for a small boutique office you would want maybe establish that practice with that little bit of extra and put your name to it because you know again if it's distinguishable nobody can come and say well these three words are mine because those are kind of generic words you've established it now and made it yours by saying by doctor such and such so you know there are ways around it and certainly don't hesitate to contact somebody who does trademarks for a living don't want somebody who does kind of a all in one because they're not going to be well rehearsed in these nuances. Yeah, that's yeah. a big one that I honestly didn't know until I learned through that client that how important it was. It's interesting how you said like with Google and social media, because I have a client that opened a little over a year ago, had her name picked out for a very long time. And I don't know, maybe a couple months after she opened her doors and like social media was going active. A client in another state, like actually started following her. I mean, a doctor in another state started following her with almost the exact same name of her practice. And all of a sudden she was like, oh, I think I might need to, to go and like trademark this, you know, because if other people are copying, because it is a, it's a, it's a cool name for a practice. And if more people see it because she actually wants to be a dentist that people travel to. So people are going to notice it from all over. So she was like right on top of that, like, okay, I need to do something about this. Well, half the battle is trademarking it. Then you have to enforce your right. <sighs> yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, there, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people who will take it another step further. They'll say, forget the trademark. They'll actually use your image and likeness. They will use your photo and they will use your skills and say, oh, you know, welcome to our team. So you have to be careful about, I think, just good practice is always checking, doing a Google ser- search of your practice and yourself and making sure you are aware of what's out there. Because, you know, sometimes you have these underground sites that n- we don't know about populate and they might have your name on there for some reason. And you don't want practice aside for your name and reputation to be out there unmonitored. Sometimes you'll even see uh, for a while there, Uh, If you put your name on whatever Google site, um, or actually the Google search page, it would populate your home address and it would block out the last few numbers of your uh, phone number. So again, trademarks aside, it's always smart to do these searches and know what's out there, not just about your practice, but about you as well. Yeah. This has been great. I always learn a lot when we do these podcasts. I've been taking some notes, like things that I want to share. With clients, I hope that our listeners have some, you know, great insight that they've they've taken down today and can start implementing it right away. You know, new year, new outlook on the practice. So thank you, Natasha. This was fantastic. I'm so excited that we were finally able to get you onto an episode. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully we'll do it again. We'll talk about something else. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I feel like we could, each of those things you brought up today, we could spend an entire episode talking about. So lots of great stuff. We will have uh, Natasha's information in the show notes. So you'll be able to, uh, to take a look at what else she has to offer. Thank you for, for joining us. And we look forward to talking to you again in the next episode. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. Thank you, Natasha.
Thanks for joining us on Accelerating Your Dental Practice. To connect with Malika and Michelle, visit ZarDentalConsulting.com and AffinityManagement.co and learn how they can help you accelerate your practice even further.